Welcome to the First Day Podcast. I'm Michael Govier. That's my wife, Leanne. Hello over there. And today we have a special guest, and you're going to get to hear all about him. Trust me. I haven't been on the show in a while, so I just want to say hello. Hi, it's good to be here. I, Leanne kept saying every week, Michael, show up. And here I am. I finally showed up, Leanne. Isn't that cool? Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse, <laughs> for being here because he's here for you, not for me. <laughs> Oh, hello. Well, uh, that is Jesse. Jesse is here to join us today, and we're going to talk a little bit about addiction, I'm sure. Jesse has a story to tell. Uh, I have a story to tell. We all have stories to tell. And here on the First Day Podcast, we try to tell them honestly and with complete uh, clarity and authenticity, too. We don't want to be, we're not trying to be like frauds and self help gurus. That's not what we're here for. We're here to just be of service and learn from others. So Jesse, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you feeling? What's the story, man? Uh, what, what do you think we'll get into today on the show? Uh, you know what? I'm going to kind of let you guys dictate the conversation and uh, I'll just follow along, but I'm sure we're going to touch on some addiction based things. Um, maybe overcoming some obstacles and uh, what I have done to try and further my progression. Love it. And maybe that'll help point some other people in the direction that they might like to choose, you know? Uh, have you been on a show before? Did you do a lot of shows? I have never been on a show before. <laughs> no, oh. uh, I, I, I did a, I did a, um, a broadcast on AM 800 regarding our business, but nothing uh, really regarding um, my battle with sobriety Okay. or overcoming my battle with sobriety, I guess I should say. That's beautiful. Okay, that's great. Uh, Leanne, anything off the top that you want to mention to everybody that they need to know about before we get into this? Yes. Um, so if you guys are new to us, we do have our book club that we do every Monday night from 8 p.m. Eastern till 9 p.m. Um, we're doing The Alchemist right now. It's super fun. And we're also voting on our next book. So if you want to have your voice heard in that for the next book, then you can come along and vote with us. Um and I think that's about it for like the actual podcast stuff. But I also wanted to just tell you a little bit about Jesse because um, I'm really excited that you're here. Uh, so I'm going to do uh, a little plug for him for his small business um, because that is one of the hardest things to do. And I'm just I'm so impressed. So he has the Rustic Palace. He's the co-owner and designer there. Um, and it is on the corner. If you guys are from Windsor, a lot of you guys are from Windsor. So on the corner of Moy and Ottawa across from the TD bank, you can go in and they are the room at the bottom of the stairs. So they're Windsor's one and only oddities and uniques booth. It's really cool. There's a bunch of haunted kind of things. There's art. There's, it's really cool. So follow them on Facebook and then go check them out at the store. Um, so there's a lot that we're going to probably get into uh, your addiction. Yes. And you overcoming that and doing it cold turkey, which I am fascinated with. Um, the fact that you're down 77 pounds, I think you said I was stalking you and I was like, what? Um, so there is a lot, but you've had a year of sobriety and I kind of want to start with that. And I'm curious what got you there and if it was the first time that you tried it. Uh, first and foremost, let's say that um, basically there really is no overcoming addiction. You're always going to be an addict. I just wanted to point that out. I'm not going to sit Good here call. and say that I beat the system. I beat the system. I'm special. I am not. 
Okay. Um, I just found something that works for me and hopefully that will continue to work for me for future years to come. Um, thank you for that. So, yeah, I just wanted to start with that. Yeah. I, um, I, I just want to say real quick, I, uh, I thought that we should, the title of this episode, Leanne, and this is a learning mo- moment for you, for everybody, you know, uh, quitting cold Turkey, a success story. I, I don't like it. Honestly, I don't okay. like that because cold Turkey, <laughs> we'll see what Jesse says, but that it's yeah. really, really, it, it is not like a common tale. Okay. People who quit cold Turkey, they do do it and it does happen and people do pull through. But even if you do quit cold Turkey for five, seven years, you might be in relapse out of nowhere all of a sudden it can happen at a moment's notice so i just wanted to i just want to say that now off the top uh i'm sure jesse would probably agree with that because he's been through this so uh if you don't know you know i'm in five years free of opioid use myself uh i take maintenance i still take suboxone and i'm fully in favor of taking suboxone i don't care what the stigma is it works for me so i always want people to know that there's a lot of different ways to do this so uh go ahead jesse you take control from there Yes, yeah, so that there is a, a really valid point that you brought up there about cold turkey. Um, because again, I'm not going to sit here and try and fabricate any situation whatsoever. Was it cold turkey? Yes. Was I forced into that cold turkey? Absolutely. I suffer and still do suffer right now from liver disease. Now, I found myself in the hospital with full blown liver failure, organ failure kidney failure. I was like literally that close to passing away. I had uh, poison. My liver had poisoned my blood and that blood infection had gone to my brain, um, which caused horrific effects while in the hospital and some lasting effects that are still with me to this day um, due to brain damage because of that. So let's just say that I didn't walk into this saying, today I'm going to quit cold turkey. I woke up on a hospital bed and said, fuck, I'm going to die. Excuse me. I wasn't sure if I could yes. say, say whatever you things, want, man. But... There's no FCC okay. here or whatever Canada's version okay. of the FCC so, yeah, is. Like... is that what, I don't know what it is, but that's the American version. <laughs> so, yeah. So when, when I say cold turkey, I mean, when I walked out of that hospital, I have not touched a drop of alcohol since I walked out of that hospital. Um, so that to me is, is, is my version of, cold turkey when i say it i haven't had a relapse yet because like we said this is an ongoing process for the rest of my life so you know that's why i can't say i'm over it but yeah i did walk out of that hospital making a commitment to never ever do this again and i've so far stood by that commitment but again this was not something i necessarily chose I did go down the road before where i i have known for years that i needed to slow down my body was telling me I needed a break and I would of course do the monthly time off, you know, say so give myself 30 days. And then after a couple of years, I just stopped even doing that. And How old are you, Jesse, because by the way? of that, I I'm 43, 43. Okay. Thank you. 43 as of June. Um, so like over the last, you know, five to six years, I would say I, I battled with, all of this depression, anxiety built because of the addiction that I had to alcohol and taking those monthly time offs stopped happening. 
And, you know, then it was to the point where I couldn't get through a day without having 15 tall boys, you know, and my version in my mind is, okay, dude, you got to slow down. Let's cut it down to six. You know, that was my slowdown. That's what I, my body required me to have in order to keep moving forward. I almost had like a set time schedule where I could be like, okay, it's been two hours. I need a beer, you know? And, and I knew that this was an issue a long time ago. I just didn't quite grasp the concept. You know, you see people around you that have been doing the same thing as you for the same amount of time and fuck, they're fine. You know? And you think, Oh man, I mean, if so and so can still do this, then you know why wouldn't I have uh, this? You know why wouldn't I be able to continue with it? And you know, one thing you quickly learn is everybody's body and everybody's mindset is completely different, right? Some bodies can handle certain things, and some people can't. And ever since I got sober, I've watched the people that can't handle it now starting to realize that, hopefully, catching it before it's too late. But, you know, we've lost some friends over the last year due to addiction and, and the anxiety and depression that goes along with it. Um, and it. And it's very sad to see. It's very sad to see. So. Wow. Well, that's one thing everybody does learn. If you don't know anything about addiction and you're trying to learn something here today, yeah, all these drugs and these substances can affect everybody in different ways. And some people could smoke cigarettes till they're 95 and they're okay. It's just weird. We're all weird. I think everybody who knows that now, who's lived some life, and if you're young and you're seeing this, you know, it's not something you have to risk. You don't have to say, well, I mean, other people have done it. Maybe I could do it. You know, Jesse thought maybe he could do it. He couldn't. So remember that. You have no idea what will impact you more the further you push your body with substances and other toxins that go into it. So, yeah, I think, so alcohol was like your big deal, right, Jesse? Yeah, yeah, definitely alcohol. I, I never really got into to much of anything else uh, other than cannabis. And I do still indulge in cannabis, <clears throat> but cannabis didn't ruin my liver. Cannabis didn't get me in fights. Cannabis didn't make me, you know, have my wife scream at me or stumble in the door at three in the morning. You know, um, that's something for my mental well-being that just helps me kind of keep everything in perspective. And that's my personal choice. And, you know, a lot of people go uh, through without anything. Um, and, and that's amazing for them. I just, uh, I just happen to not be able to let everything go at this point now. So I still do, do indulge in that. But Well, before this show today, I posted a video. Uh, you know, my brother is, he struggled with addiction and other health issues of the mind. And, uh, you know, we don't know where he is. I, I just said, honestly, because we did a GoFundMe for him earlier this year. We raised $6,000, and he got a good job. He got a good car. He got a, a good apartment to live in. All those check marks of societal comfort and uh, security, I guess. Not even comfort. So much. Yeah, I got the security if I can go where I need to go. I got a place I can sleep at, and I have a place where I go where they'll give me money so I can buy the things I need to survive. And that's all... Well and good. Security is important. I get that. But I'm curious to see what you think because now he's gone. I haven't seen him in almost three weeks, so we have no idea where he is. Uh, he's done that before, so I, I think it's very likely he'll eventually resurface. But how do you explain it to people when things like this happen, when people 
they seem to want to like help themselves on the outside to others, but then they, they relapse or they disappear, and it's been like the 50th time. How do you explain it to people who are not involved in addiction at all? Can you find any way to do oh, that? That, 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 is a, that is a very, very difficult question. The one thing that you have to remind people, and so many people don't believe in this, but addiction is a disease. It is a disease. That is not your brother running away right now. That is the addiction forcing him to run away because he's ashamed, he's scared, he's hurting, he's in a horrible place. He knows that he's made a mistake and he's too scared to allow himself to live up to that mistake. And unfortunately, that just leads you further down the rabbit hole following that guilt, chasing that. And by trying to remove that out of your life, you know, when you're an addict, you try and bury it within your addiction. Um, so one way to try and explain to people is, you know, that is not necessarily the person you once knew. That person is inside there somewhere, but right now is being torn in a different direction by something completely out of their control. And it really does matter. Now we can all put addiction as one into a big basket. Well, when you're talking about an addiction to alcohol versus addiction to opioids and, and such things as that, now the mindset is the same, the pain is the same, but I believe that I would have probably had a very, very much easier time walking away from alcohol than I would if I was walking away from opioids because of the fact that the grip it gets on you is almost impossible to pull away from. And that is a very, very scary thing. So like for me, like I can't even imagine what someone who's addicted to opioids or someone who struggled with that, like yourself, Mike would, would, would even go through. Like it's so far beyond me. I, uh, I wouldn't even know where to start, you know? With that, um, but despite that, there's still. I don't know if that kind of answers. No, it does. That, despite that, though, there's yeah. still similarities <laughs> across all of substances or, or behavioral addictions. Whether it's a behavioral Absolutely. addiction, all of these things still have commonalities. But there are it depends on the substances and the context of the experience. There are variations. Uh, Leanne, anything you want to ask Jesse? Go ahead. I'm just. Okay, if you guys so, want to ask questions, by the way, Jesse, jump in the live chat here, and we will try to answer them as best we can. We got people in here jumping in, like Josh, our, my other brother. Hi, Josh. How you doing, buddy? And uh, Jenny's here. Uh, hey, Josh. Jenny jumped in. Hi, Leanne, Mike. Jenny, make sure you say hi to Jesse as well. Jenny's a friend of uh, ours, but well. <laughs> um, I see I, my mom say something earlier. So hi, mom. <laughs> oh, right there. Kathy, I don't know if she's yes. still there, but. Yeah. Yes. There she is. Yeah. Yes. Um, it is really brave. And I am so grateful for you being here um, and having this conversation. So, um, and I had no idea that that is what led you to that. Um, so this might be a stupid question and I'm known for questions that are just like a little bit, but I need to ask it anyway. You would think. No stupid questions. Okay. So thank you. So you would think that Oh, okay. So like you get through day to day and just remember that you were on your deathbed and that's what gets you to not drink. But I would also feel like at some point that's also not enough. Like how do it's you- It's not, it's not. Because human- That's the tip of the iceberg. That's, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's that's great. I want you to answer it because I know that like even people that are having they have a heart attack and it's like the heart attack is because of this lifestyle. And then the first like three months you can do it and you do all the things that you have to do. And then human nature gets you back into these habits. And if it had that kind of a grip on you, um, I would just, how do you get through day to day now that you're a year into it? Like for you, I know you can't speak for other people, but how do you get through it day to day? Right. So, um, this is one of the main things that I find a lot of people struggling on the fence of, of sobriety and trying to get help. They feel that there is only one way to do it. And I am not one of those people that believes that, um, you know, a lot of people will say you have to go to AA, you have to go to NA. That's the only way you'll get through it. Now, I don't necessarily believe you have to go to AA or, or NA, But what I do firmly believe in is that you have to 100% more than anything, have a support system, a solid support system of friends and family who are there for you. Even if it's two or three, I don't have a lot anymore. Trust me. When I got sober, a lot of them dropped like flies. I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. The ones that stuck around are the ones that mean the most. They're the ones that I can call at the drop of a dime, you know, your friends, your best friends, your family, like whether it be a struggle with addiction that I'm having that day, whether it be I'm going through a depressing day, I've got anxiety, you know, you have to be able to have a support system. I have a few counseling being one of them as well. You can't just put it in the air and hope that it never comes back. (laughs) You have to put in the work. Now I also train as much as possible for kickboxing, Muay Thai, and mixed martial arts. I'm on injury right now. Will be for the next few months, but um, that did a little back disc slippage. Um, but that gets me through as well. You know, like having a goal, having an ambition, having something to drive you. You know, I'm 43 years old and I'm starting to train Muay Thai and kickboxing again. You know, and thinking in my mind, I feel like I'm 20 but my body does not agree with me anymore. So little mistakes happen all the time where I'm out for like three, six weeks, you know, trying to get back. But definitely, you know, you have to find something to keep you moving forward. Um, one of the main things, uh, another thing that I do is is my business, right? Like being sober enabled me to start this business with my wife and my partner. And it keeps me moving forward every day. There's always some type of positive energy I can put into the business, a new idea, um, someone I can reach out to to help us further our social media. Like there's just always work to be done. And I am a person that needs to be 100% stimulated or have no stimulation whatsoever. That is the way my anxiety works. I got to be go, go, go. The minute there's a lag in that go, I'm out. You know, I'm like, okay, like, so those are definite things. Find something you're good at or you suck at, but you really enjoy doing, have an amazing support system and don't believe that, you know, you can only do it through meetings, like scheduled NA meetings. A meeting can be anything. You can call three or four friends over, sit in a circle for an hour and have all the coffee you want or whatever you do. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a 
you know, an AA sanctioned meeting. It could just be a meeting of minds talking about sobriety. What keeps you going that day? The struggles you've had that week, basically an AA meeting that doesn't put you the pressure of um, being under the eyes of a stranger or someone who doesn't know you or your situation. You know, I, I personally find it easier to open up that way. Some people find meetings to be amazing and more power to you. I'm not trying to discourage people from that either. Just saying there's multiple avenues that you can take. You just got to pick which one works for you. Absolutely. That's what I'm talking about. We're live here with Jesse. We're talking about his addiction recovery and how he got there and anything else that's coming to mind here on the First Day Podcast. You guys can jump in the live chat and ask questions like this one. Josh says, Jesse, would you say that making the decision to not make a bad decision, even if it takes a while to make the decision? Is that what? Jesse, do you, would you say that making the decision to not make the bad decision, even if it takes a while to make the decision? I'm not really sure if, what are you saying? The thought uh, process there? Uh, I'm kind of, I'm kind of missing it too yeah. for a second there. I'm, 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 uh, okay. It was worded. It was worded odd. Josh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Rephrase that one, Josh. Bring it back. To, let's try this one from Jenny. Uh, what works the best for you during a moment of struggle in the terms of support? Is it talking to someone or changing environment? What helps you stay on track? Well, you kind of described that just that's now, really, but uh, that's a really good question. Um, definitely, like having that support system. Like, there's there's been a few times where I've had a, a very very strong inkling, of course, to want to have a beer. It's only happened about two or three times so far where I actually like looked at a, a an alcoholic beverage and said. God damn, do I ever miss that? And once was when my wife had a Guinness in front of me. And, and you know, more power to anybody that wants to drink. I have no problem being around people that drink. I have no problem being in a pub. It does not bother me whatsoever. I still like the social aspect of it. But sometimes when she has a beer, <laughs> for some reason, anyone else can have a beer around me. But when I see her have a Guinness, it makes me want to have a Guinness. But one of the times that we're discussing here, you know, was, was something similar to that. And I immediately just described to her exactly what I was feeling. You know, we figured out what we needed to do to order in order to move past it. If it wasn't my wife, removing myself from the situation would definitely be the first thing that I would do. And then making that call to someone trusted because you definitely want to remove yourself from the situation before you make a mistake and then make the phone call, make the phone call first before the mistake happens and try and nip it in the bud. Hope that helps. <clears throat> well, Josh was saying there's more about the internal debate in your mind in the moment, which you were just kind of talking about. Uh, I guess that's what he was trying to, because Josh also says it is because it is in your inner circle, Jesse. Is it because it is in your inner circle that is it because it is in my inner circle? What people drinking around me is in my inner circle? I don't know. Yeah, is Josh, you're not word? being very clear tonight, Josh. You all right? You not feeling well? <laughs> Usually Josh uh, always posts very thoughtful comments. We're not getting the clarity here. You need to retype some of these. He's my brother, so I can talk to him like that. Uh, we're live here with, oh, That's okay. with Jesse. Uh, Jesse, one thing I wanted to ask was about how for people where it all began, how did it get worse for you? Do you remember like, you remember there's a point where things got worse and you kind of described that earlier, but I mean like when you were younger, did this happen over many, many years? It wasn't just like you were doing this for six to eight months or right. a year and then, oh, hey, look at me. Now I'm in real trouble here. 
yeah, uh, addiction definitely does not start within a week and it definitely does not take a week to go away. That is for sure. Um, you know, alcoholism runs in my family. I've known it since I was a child. Um, you know, I should have heeded the warnings, but I didn't, you know, my mom never drinks alcohol, um, because of this. And she's always told me growing up, you know, don't drink. It will get you. It will get you. It will get you. But, you know, I grew up in Michigan and when we moved over here, I think I was 18, just turning 19. All my cousins and friends from over here start going out because you're younger, you're allowed to, you know, you have a couple. And and then really, I think it was getting involved in the bar business um, at that young age where I was still very impressionable, didn't really know my role yet and wanted to be popular and cool and always be out and spending money and, you know having a good time being that wild and crazy guy. Well, were there a couple of key points that you could recall where you wished you had made a different choice or had been more open to listening to someone else? Had, did people at certain mile markers, I would say, in your life, maybe five to seven years at 23, 30, something like that, where you said, boy, I wish I could do that one over again because that person was trying to help me, but I was just too deep in it multiple times more than i can even count you know um especially like like we talked about my mom my mom has always been on me about it you know because we see it within our family too right um so my mom has always just been on it are you okay are you drinking too much you know like she's with the self-sabotage she's always been on it but everybody else because you're aware of it i mean when you is, have the gene that is, pool that you're aware of you're already given the information. So I'm just curious if you look at it that way. I guess I just thought I'd be impervious to it, right? I just thought that I would be the one who wouldn't, you know? Oh, it's just for fun. It's just for fun. And then I did realize, you know, you're making me remember things I haven't thought about in a while. But I do remember at one point when it did start to get bad and I realized that I wasn't drinking to have fun anymore. I had... I was probably maybe 20 or 21 and I had moved into a new apartment with, with a friend and I didn't have a cell phone at the time. We didn't have a house phone. You know, my friend was working all the time and I was kind of in the house by myself and my anxiety would start to eat. This is when I first started realizing I had really bad anxiety. It would start to eat at me. So I would think, who do I know? I live downtown. Who do I know downtown that's working somewhere where I can just go sit and have a couple beers, right? And so I started, whenever I got that anxiety, it kind of led me down that road. And then it would just repeat itself over and over again. Anxiety, go to the pub. Anxiety, go to the pub. And then years later, I was getting anxiety from going to the pub. You know, the alcoholism had, had caused me so much internal anxiety and depression that, you know, I didn't even want to be seen in the pub anymore. Right. So. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. I mean, beautiful because it helps people understand those moments. And Jenny wants you to know that so great that you can be vulnerable, share in the moment rather than keep it buried. Thank you for answering. You are very welcome. Uh, You're very Josh welcome. Is clarifying. If I can help anybody in any way. Yeah, cool. absolutely. That's what this is all about. Uh, Josh says drinking drugs, et cetera, absolutely. are really a social icebreaker. Would you all agree? I would, I would, especially in Windsor, you know, it's hard to find uh, people that 
you know, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going to this pub or I'm going to that pub or, you know, you go to meet people at, at the bar or at the nightclub or, you know, there's, there's really not, I am finding there is more of a social sober scene in Windsor when you find it and you're actually actively looking for it. There is stuff to do. Oh my God. Who would have thought? Um, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely do think it is, it is used as a social icebreaker for sure. And then Josh also says, so I think it is a learned social interaction with drinking and drugs. We learn to soothe or break the ice in an uncomfortable situations. And I think that's basically what Jesse was saying there, right, Jesse? Yeah, it's fair to say. <clears throat> Excuse me. What about you, Leanne? What else? What do you got? Yeah, well, I thought it was funny because when, when Jesse came on, I was like, how do we know each other? Because I felt such a connection with him that I was like, did we go to high school together? Cause I felt like that's how close we were. And then we discovered that he was actually my bartender at my favorite bar while I was in my twenties and thirties. Really? So we spent a lot of weekends together <laughs> and that's how I knew. Yeah. So it is unknowingly. unknowingly yeah. <laughs> yes. So, but it's, it's really interesting because then, yeah, Josh, you're right. You, it's not only a social like icebreaker. It's also you develop these relationships and then you start thinking, that's somewhat normal. And I would imagine also if you're a bartender and watching people get dragged out of the bar, then you're doing better because I mean, you're working and you're, you know, so you don't think that you're as bad as like, it's not as bad. That's why you can, you can handle it because you can still keep a job through it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So exactly. Um, yeah. I what think working class alcoholic. Yeah. I think it's a, mm -hmm. It's a misnomer, though, like the functioning alcoholic. Functioning how? That you're not dead? Okay. All right. But you, right. <laughs> and that's and that's what I would claim before, too. Like I was a functioning alcoholic because I never, ever, very few and far between at the end of my drinking, ever got drunk. It was just that steady progression throughout the day in order to keep me feeling back to normal again. You know, the hardest part and the scariest part was going through withdrawals. But once you get past that, as much as it sucks, there is a huge bright light at the end of that tunnel. You know, everyone's so scared. And once you get out of that withdrawal and you realize that you don't ever want to feel like that again, um, it, it makes it a little bit easier. You know, I could never imagine waking up feeling the way I was waking up ever again. And one of the things that keeps me moving forward is knowing I will never have to do that again. Yeah, alcohol withdrawals, just to note, everybody, uh, are the most dangerous, along with benzos. Those are the ones that could kill you. You could die if you don't have proper treatment from alcohol withdrawal. Uh, opioid withdrawal, still god-awful. It's horrible. But most likely you will survive it. Uh, alcohol withdrawal is very, very scary stuff. So I, I understand that you don't want to feel that way again. I always said, oh, I don't want to feel that way again either. But then... You know, if you get out of a rehab after two weeks, which is a total joke, then uh, all of a sudden you're like, wow, yeah. I, I, I really want to get a, I want to get some pills. That's all I was thinking about. And I didn't want to think like that because while I was in rehab. Celebrate my two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's the old pink cloud. Everything looks good. I got a billion phone numbers, but it wasn't enough because the biological angle of physical addiction, which has been recently I've. I've seen some TED Talks and I've seen some other stuff from people saying that physical addiction to substances might be 
a myth. But that, no. I mean, you'll literally die from certain withdrawals. So don't give me that crap. That's ridiculous. And I want to go back to what Sue said here. Everyone assumes if you say, let's go have a drink. They mean alcohol. You're right about that, Sue. Uh, Kathleen says, do they have meds for withdrawal? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah, they absolutely do. Um, you have to go into detox in order to get them. Um, or be in a situation where, like myself, you're put into an emergency room and they've got to get you sorted. Yeah. I'll tell you this. <laughs> but I don't think you can go and just get them over the counter because you've got to be under, like, 100% supervision. That's you know? Oh, yeah, totally. I will remember one time in 2017, I took, like, 26 Vicodin pills at once, just popped in my mouth, swallowed them. And, uh, yeah, I did. That's a fact. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you this is a true story, folks. And uh, so I started driving home. I'm on the road driving, too, after that. And suddenly I don't feel so well, and I feel like, oh, yeah, this this might not be typical. I mean, by this point, I've been using pills for six years. I know what it feels like. And when it doesn't go right, I'm like, I might need to go to the hospital. And I did take myself to the hospital. And uh, when I got there, they took care of me. I I was okay. I overreacted. But they thought... Because I told them the number of pills I took at once that I tried to kill myself. And I'm like, no, I wasn't trying to kill myself. My tolerance was just that high. I had to take 25. That's just Tuesday. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right? And then they could, the psychiatrist, this board certified psychiatrist hospital refused to believe that I didn't try to kill myself. And probably just because he was legally worried about his own ass. But in the end, I ended up spending the weekend there and I had to go into massive withdrawal because they forced me to stay. I could not leave. It's a 5150 or whatever they call it. And... I was in such agony, they gave me a shot of something, and suddenly I felt fantastic. So I'm just saying there are there are ways to make people feel better and help them get through withdrawal if you have supervision from medical experts like that. It's just I just reminded I'm just reminded of that because I've been I've been in so much pain from withdrawal before, and I thought about how just that one shot or whatever it was just could have make everything normal. And if you don't have to suffer, yeah. we could. I know that, like you just said, Jesse, you know, the suffering was so great. You didn't want to feel that way again. I get that. But th- but that still doesn't work for a lot of people. And I'm not I'm not dismissing it on your end. I'm just telling no, people out there who sure. are watching and hearing this that you could, you could feel like you were going to die for weeks on end and then you still end up relapsing again just because you're still so in it. Absolutely. That's all. Uh, Josh says... We see others relieve stress through smoking, drinking, et cetera. So we seem to find it to be a normal way to relieve stress. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Jenny says, did I hear you say that using alcohol was a means of dealing with your anxiety? And if so, what else or how do you deal with the anxiety now? Yes, uh, Jesse did say that. So how do you deal with it now? I kick and I punch very, very hard. (laughs) That is the truth. Um, my uh, my heavy bag has never seen the likes of someone like me in a long time. <clears throat> Give it to him. Hell uh, yeah. So that definitely helps out with my anxiety is is trying to be as physically active as possible. Um, getting myself out, getting myself grounded, taking the dog for a walk, anything that just um, eliminates the negative space that you feel you are in at that moment. Sometimes I find that I need to break it up, you know, switch it up, make a move, even if it's to go for a 10 minute drive. It just feels like you've accomplished something rather than just sitting there being in your own mind. Um, Like I said, I do uh, have therapy as well. 
Uh, I do work with a therapist for anxiety. Um, I do have medication for anxiety, um, but I only need to take it when I have to. And I obviously with my liver being the way it is, try and stick away from taking anything that I don't have to take anymore. Um, but also like, again, going back to the support system, having someone there for you that can just listen whenever you need it. I'm just so lucky and grateful to have an amazing wife and partner who is always there to answer the phone, whether she's working or not, or if it's the middle of the night and I'm having a panic attack, she'll wake up, help me get through it. She suffers from anxiety as well. So we both know how to handle it. Not everybody has that and that's unfortunate, but you know, reaching out and, and having somebody to help support you really helps get through the anxiety. Great. That's beautiful. Congratulations. You have someone you can trust and support. That's fantastic. Leanne is that for me. She's so supportive and I, I feel the same way. I, so I can actually really, I would actually maybe once upon a time, I would have thought that you were bullshitting, but now I know it is true. It really is true. Yeah. <laughs> I know that now. Uh, Josh says what this all comes down to is realizing and accepting the root cause of our reason to be involved in whatever bad situation we have chose to put ourselves in. Yeah, well. Definitely. Root causes are important, but yeah. Some people don't want to do that work, and it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It doesn't mean that they deserve to stay in active addiction either. I mean, it's, it's just, I understand what you mean there, Josh. Uh, Jenny says, so happy you are here with us, and you made the choice to stick it out. Look at that, Jesse. See, people are... They're happy that you're here. Thank I'm you. happy you're here. I think it's I great. Do. Happy to be here. Very happy to be Leanne's here. Leanne's thrilled. I really am. And I need to just say this. Uh, you need to remind me. We need to switch the cover and the title of this because now the more that I'm learning about all of this, um, I don't want that title. We're going to have to switch it. <laughs> ah. I, I, once it goes live, like onto the, the podcast. So, um, because I, I didn't, this is the thing I've been with Mike for four years and I'm still yeah. learning it all. Like I just have never had the lived experience with addiction. So I'm trying to understand it. And I, I think that's where a big problem is in society is that if you haven't had the actual lived experience I've had, it runs in my family. Um, so I've seen it. Um, I've lost family to it. Um, so you think that you get it, but unless you actually live it, it's something totally different. Um, so that's why I love these conversations because I think it's, it's really important for us to um, have these conversations so it's not just the other person. It's not just, oh, they're an addict um, because it really can happen to any of us. We're all such good people and it just... Yeah happens. Um, and like you said, it's not overnight. It's, it's a slow process. Rich or poor. So, doesn't matter. It's all class across all class lines. Yeah. Man. Doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I remember, you know, before getting sober and stuff, walking downtown and seeing some of the, the zombies, you know, down there and, and thinking, you know, Oh, that's so gross. How disgusting that is. And, after getting sober, you know, you look at it in a very different light um, that those people were at one point just like you and I, possibly, maybe not everyone, you know, I'm not trying to generalize everything, but, you know, it, and now it makes me sad and it makes me wonder how bad it must have been for you to get that far 
to get that deep into it and how much pain you must be going through or you must have been put through in order to reach that level of addiction where you don't even know where you are anymore. You know, I say it to my wife all the time, thank God that I got away what I did because that could have affected my brain even more and I could be just like that, wandering around downtown trying to figure out where I am and what my life is about and, you know. You're absolutely right about so that. So it, it, it's... Yeah, it's 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 an eye opening experience. It is right now, so, yeah. and that's coming from someone who's been to addiction. You know? Absolutely, of course, you are a master's student, if you will. I mean, you're you've got your PhD in addiction. You did it <laughs> the hard way, and that's where people can really learn the most. I wish that everybody. It sounds crazy, but I do believe this to be true. I wish it's not going to happen. I wish everybody could go through addiction. And then find out how hard it is and how much empathy you have for other people after it's over. And when people say it really is like, uh, I'm grateful it happened now because I see things differently and in a much more appreciative way, that is the benefit of addiction. So I'm not saying go out there and go through addiction just to get to that point. It's possible to skip that step and you could just be more empathetic to others and understand that all the tropes and all the myths about drug addiction that you've been fed by government propaganda and any other type of propaganda, it's just a load of crap, okay? It's, people don't want to live the way they're living unless they feel so awful that they're running from something that is so traumatic they can't handle it, they're anxious, they're riddled with anxiety, it's so awful that they have to soothe it to minimize it. There's all of these reasons why people use and why they are in addiction, but why they continue to stay in addiction becomes much different from what they originally got into use in the first place. Yeah. That's... That's what I think everybody needs to try to learn from this here. And, and you know, it, I just thought of this while we're doing the show, and I see the people that are commenting. And, you know, right now someone's suffering silently internally, and they feel so ashamed, and they feel so afraid to admit that they're, they have a problem. Like, it's a weakness. It is not a weakness, folks. You are not weak for having a drug problem of any kind, an addiction of any kind. It's not a weakness. It's a natural progression and a soothing of your pain. That's what it is. And it's happening right now all across Absolutely. the world. Millions and millions of people are from all different kinds of races and creeds and creeds and religions and backgrounds. Everybody and anybody is able to be exposed to it. Right, Jesse? Absolutely. 100%. Is my screen glitching out? Uh, a little bit, yeah. It happens. I don't know why. Sometimes. You <laughs> I might have a low moved. battery. Are you plugged in on, uh, I don't know. Sometimes a low battery. Can I kind of am. Yeah, I think it might be. Well, we're almost done. Here. It says I have an hour left. Oh, well, we're almost done it here. It says anyway. I have an hour left. But... Uh, yeah. Let me, uh, a couple more things here. Uh, Sue says, living with a person may be totally different than living with addiction of another person. So no two addicts may be the same in terms of how they act. Absolutely. They are not. <laughs> that is absolutely correct. Yeah, they are not. I mean, you might have some of, the, some of the same habits, but your mental state is your own mental state. That's for sure. Exactly. Jenny says, great point, Mike. Well, whatever point I made. Thank you, Jenny. I really appreciate that. Uh, Jenny also says, this conversation also helps us not to be so judgmental. You don't know what you don't know. You're right. That's the whole That's point true. of doing this. Very, very true. Sue says, why can't we welcome addicted to things that are good for us. <laughs> oh, I said welcome. You're right. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. I mean, uh, like that. For me, I'm addicted to kickboxing. <laughs> I mean, that's just my thing, you know. So, like, I can't 
I can't even fall asleep without thinking about it. <laughs> and that's something to be, to be happy about. Yeah. Um, I really like tea. <laughs> I like lemonade. Mm. Lemonade's crazy. <laughs> how about we just, how, how about we just don't have to be addicted to anything and just pick and choose what we like to enjoy every once in a while. Three th- uh, addiction, obsession, and passion. Those are three different things, okay? And usually addiction in our parlance means that you have negative outcomes from the behaviors you continue to participate in. And, and so addiction, when someone says, I'm so addicted to watching Game of Thrones or some television show, you're more you're obsessed with it. You're fascinated by it. You're curious about it. You, yeah. you enjoy it. You do. You it If you're losing your job because you watch game of thrones then that's a problem right if people who are addicted to video games of behavioral addiction and they quit they don't function at all they can't properly take care of their basic necessities and responsibilities that's that is addiction it is right so i would say i'm passionate in very many things we all are man we've all got passions you actually become more passionate about a lot of stuff once you get out of addiction you're grateful to feel something more than you were prior when you might have been. I know for me, I was a lot more numbed up. And when I got free of that, I was much more excited about these things I wanted to do. And I had a passion and excitement for it. And I felt good about that. And that's that's one of the benefits of coming through addiction as well. And I just want people to know that if they're seeing this or they have a family member or a loved one, or even just a acquaintance that they know that they're worried about because they're suffering silently, you don't have to do that. You don't have to suffer silently. I lost everything. I lost my job. Everybody hated me. I stole from everybody. I, I did all the worst shit you could possibly do to everybody. And now everybody likes me again. Okay? So it took a lot of work for all of that to happen along the way. And I had to be humble and honest and accept the responsibilities of my actions. But at the same time, nobody wanted to kill me. Nobody wanted to say, you don't belong here. You'll never come back ever again. Even if they said it when I was in addiction, they wanted to help first, okay? And the one thing I'll say, Jesse, I'm curious what you think about this, is patience. You know, you think about the Holocaust, and, you know, we did a book club a while ago. What was it, Victor Frankl's uh, book, right? Uh, what was that called? Something a, a man, A Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. And you learn in that book, and if you learn about the Holocaust, or really any of the most awful things that have ever happened to any human beings, is that you can yeah. go a lot farther than you think you can. Jewish people did a lot more than they ever thought they could just to survive. They didn't know it at the time, but they ended up going to incredible lengths that most humans wouldn't be willing to do without the fear of death and punishment, but of wanting to come through it. And my point about this is to say that for those that are supporting addicts, you think your patience is running thin, but if you find a little bit more patience within yourself to say, you know what, I can go further. I can still give this person the help because tough love and cutting people off, I don't think that's a great idea. And I'm curious what you think about that, Jesse, because I think that if we could be much more patient than we ever thought we could with people who are battling addiction, we might be able to draw back some people from it as opposed to losing them forever. And I'm not saying it's it's their fault. It's not the family members of the support system's fault either, Jesse. I'm just saying it's, it's an interesting thought to consider. Absolutely. Um, so, so the tough love thing that you talked about for a second there, this is something that I still struggle with in my newfound addiction because, or newfound sobriety, sorry. Um, because like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here talking like I'm the master. I'm a year in that. That's not shit. 
I'm just starting this journey and I, I am not claiming to be anything more than I am. I'm just a rookie. Um, but for me with the tough love thing, oh God, it's, it's really hard for me still to find my role with that with other people who are struggling with addiction because I still have to worry about dealing with me first. Um, and in regards to that, like I can talk to people so many times and I can have the conversation and say, I'm open. There's no judgment here. You can talk to me whenever you want. It's the old, um, the old saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water, you know, but you can't get him to drink. And so my tough love, I guess, in a way is, you know, I'll give you all the opportunities that I can to talk to me, but I'm not going to force myself upon you. It's in your hands. It is your choice, whatever you choose to do. Um, you know, I will still support you, but you know, we've all had that. Maybe not all of us, but a lot of us have had that family member who just takes it there so many times, so many times. And at one, at some point, you know, you have to ponder in your head, like what good is coming from this? Am I helping this person? Am I furthering their progression into their addiction um, by su supporting them, A, financially or giving them a place to stay because they screwed something up? Like nobody wants to see anybody without a roof over their head. But at some point, you do have to set guidelines and you do have to stand behind those because at the end of the day, you know, you have to work on you. You have to be your main focus. And if you take your eyes off the prize, sometimes you find yourself slipping back into the old ways, you know? So I, I do believe there has to be some boundaries set and met. I got no beef with that. I just think it's a message for the people who are trying to support people in addiction. Think about inclusivity and continuing to maybe, I know we all got to have our own, well-being taken care of for us to function first and foremost, but you might be surprised how much farther you can go by not punishing, but just, you don't have to give money either. You can include people in uh, activities uh, and just welcome them in say, we're not pushing you away. We want you here. And you keep doing it again and again yeah. and again and again and again, no matter how many times that addict pushes you away or disappears for a month or six months, all that stuff, you can let that go and you don't have to enable, which is a whole other thing. I'd, I, I see what you're saying there, Jesse. I, yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I'm thinking more of enabling than I am supporting. No, I mean, you're being you know, honest course, about where you are. Of course, right take now. them out. Yeah. Yeah. Sue says the two most dangerous times for an alcoholic, and Sue knows what she's talking about. Sue is a therapist for our 90 okay. days clean and two years clean. Yeah, those are. I could see that. I could see that. Because at two years, I think basically you're like, okay, I got this. I beat this fucker, you know, <laughs> maybe I deserve a little, maybe I deserve a little celebration. Yeah. No, nah. like I could see, because when I hit my, my one year, like it kind of just even blew past me. I didn't even realize it was coming up, you know, up until my 11th month, like every month I would look and, you know, make up posts, try and push people to move forward. And on my one year, I actually, in my 11th month and my 12th month, I actually forgot. <laughs> like that the day was like the next day, you know, I'm like, Oh my God, I have a year sobriety. Um, and you know, even that made me think, I wonder what people do after a year, you know, do they think, okay, I got this licked. Let's, you know, maybe I could just have a couple here and there throughout maybe a glass of wine with my dinner. 
No, you know what I love? I love counting those days. I love seeing that length just get longer and longer because for me, it makes it harder and harder to break. You know, once that chain is that long, I'm like, why would I ever cut it now? You know, like I'm so far ahead. And I had a good conversation with my wife over dinner yesterday. You know, we were discussing one of those hiccups I, I have when I see her have a beer, you know. And I said, you know, I've had two really bad situations and they've both been with you. And I said, you know, the other night you were having a nice Amstel light with our dinner and it just looked so tasty. She got it free from work. Like she barely ever drinks, but she's like, oh, I got a free beer from work. I'm going to have it with dinner. Yeah, no problem. But it just looks so good, you know? And I said, oh, I was just thinking, you know, I could probably just have one sip. And she's like, yep. And then I would have to say, sure, Jesse, you can have that sip if you want. You can also see me walk out the front door. You can also watch that whole year that you are so proud of just diminish under your fingertips for one little sip of alcohol that's going to do nothing for you. You can choose. It's up to you. And, you know, that's support right there, you know. And this is post these feelings that we had discussed it. It wasn't during the time when it happened. It was the next day. I said, you know, I struggled last night a little bit, you know, but I didn't take the sip. And it's good to know that she would put me in perspective, you know. That's fantastic to have that support. And I appreciate that. I will say one thing for everybody else. Where the real work and where the real patience and the real support is required is when that relapse does happen, though. You know, if take Jesse out of it and just put someone else in there. All right, I did my one year. And then someone tells you, I'm out of here. I'm going to leave if you relapse. And then you do relapse. It makes it really, really hard to come back and admit it. First off, as an addict, you're like, oh, shit, how am I going to? The shame and the guilt will just absolutely destroy that person. So I'm just curious. I'm curious how you see that, Jesse. You know what I mean? Because like, I, I'm... Well, it's it's because I know she wouldn't leave. <laughs> Actually, okay. She, I mean, she's been with me this far through the worst of it. She's not. I don't. I don't actually. But she's just making me visualize that aspect. But if other people do that, I don't though, think that I, not is, just. I'm just saying. If I don't think that's. Yeah. A, I don't think that's a great thing to do. Not at all. I don't think that's a great thing to do. Threatening someone to be sober <laughs> is not going to make them want to get sober, especially someone like me. <laughs> I'm the guy you say, don't do that. And I'm going to fucking do it. You know, like, that's just how I am. Don't touch that. Touch, like, touch, touch. Yeah. So uh, I definitely think ultimatums are not the way to, uh, to make that proactive. That's for sure. Agreed. Out of Rhythm Fantasy Sports, this is uh, Jamie from when I knew, a friend of mine, Jamie. If one doesn't have a support system, most people fail. They end up back to the roots of addiction. When you work... You don't have time for that drink. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I, that's that could be more of a distraction than an actual solution, though. Just think about that. Something to consider. I, I agree. And Sue also says, Russell Brand talked about the lack of connection being a cause of addiction. And yeah, we're in an isolated world more and more. We're alone. We're separated. You had a pandemic recently, and that just made it a lot worse for people. But even before that, you know, you spend time on your phones, separated. You feel like it's connection. It's social media, but you're not really being social. And there's been a lot of that. This is my overall point, really, Jesse and Leanne, is that inclusivity and bringing people back into the fold instead of pushing them away is is the future, I think, of trying to help people in addiction. 
you know, bringing them into the fold, continue to do that and have the patience again and again to do that. Say, hey, we want you here. We want you here. Come on in. Yeah, we know you got this going on. Yeah, we know you're a total fuck up. Yeah, we know you've made this. You know, you, you hate yourself and you feel miserable and you're ashamed of everything. That's okay. Come on in. Come on over. Hang out with us. And that takes yeah. a lot of time and effort to do that. I understand that. Absolutely, it does. And, and, and it, it can be a positive aspect 100%. Um, that's another reason people find such solace in meetings too, is because you're going to get that unconditional love there, that lack of judgment, right? Mm -hmm. So that is definitely one thing is to listen open-minded and never be judgmental, you know? Can I make a, a suggestion just for anybody that's listening to this and it's kind of, it's kind of on point, kind of not, um, because I've been thinking about this a lot the last week when you walk by somebody downtown or wherever you're at and you know that there's somebody that's living there and that looks you know they're asking for money and they're asking for whatever I've noticed how many people walk by step over ignore or shame those people um I think it's going to be really powerful if everybody could say hello how are you doing like just something simple like that because like you said Jesse people People end up in these situations, but they were just like us, you know, a couple of years ago, a decade ago, whatever. And you start realizing that everybody you, you feed into that narrative that nobody cares for me. Look at, there's another person that just walked over me. And I think that we all need to start just loving even strangers. It doesn't have to be our uncle. That's the addict. It can be just the people that are on the street and you don't have to give them money. If you don't have money or you don't want to give them money, um, give them a little bit of your time. 30 seconds can go a long way if everybody that walked by them did that. I have a trunk full of clothes on me at all points. So that's what I did all winter. I'd see if I seen somebody struggling, I'd just pull my car in the middle of the street, throw the four ways on. You need a pair of shoes. You need some socks. You need a sweater. So there's still stuff back there because I don't pay street tax is what I call it. I'm not going to give you money because I don't know where that money's going to go. I'll buy you food. I'll wrap you up in a blanket. I put socks on this guy's feet and gave him little foot warmers to put in his shoes, you know, and I said, and I would see him around the city and I'd say, Oh, that, that's my little dude. You know what I mean? Like <clears throat> I, I seen a lady that was uh, sleeping in front of the building that used to be the old million dollar saloon on one of the coldest nights of the year. She was just in the little archway there. And like I, I could see she's cold. So I pulled over like I do and went up and said, do you need some clothes? She had nothing but like booty shorts on and a, a little jacket. She had built herself a little wall, but it was like 30 below out. And I had like four hoodies, a winter coat, two pair of sweatpants, three pair of socks and a pair of shoes. Went it over to her, talked to her. And then I ended up calling the police that night but not because she was in trouble because if you tell them that it's that cold out and there's somebody out there that cannot take care of themselves, they'll go and put that person in for the night and feed them and give them a warm place to stay downtown. I don't know if a lot of people know that, no. but if you're seriously worried about the welfare, somebody on the street, you can call and you can wait for the police. And if they've got room, they'll put them up for the night. If it's too cold to make sure they're not passing away on the streets. Oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Thank so. you. <clears throat> And they came and got her and took it and she got a, a whole new wardrobe. So, and then I just went home and 
put another bag in. So good man. That's fantastic. Well done. Yeah. Sue says that is so cool. That is cool. Absolutely. <laughs> Just trying to do his part. I love it. I will say I'll give, I'll give money. I don't care. I know what it's like to not feel well and want to get my next fix. And I hear I'm not, I'm not going to change their lives today. So here you go. Here's 20 bucks. Go, go do your thing, man. That, that's how I feel about it now. Just cause I've been there and I'm not saying it's, I disagree with you at all. It, I'd be, if we had other stuff to give, we, we handed out hand warmers. We had these box of hand warmers this winter. Yeah. And Leanne bought a box at, where'd we buy it at? Costco or something? Costco. Yeah. And we, we handed out those hand warmers to people. Whatever we got, we'll give. And, For yeah. sure. They're human beings. For you sure. people. Oh, man. It, it is a cool society. Western civilization, the United States, Canada, all Western civilization has really instilled harsh cruelty of failure and disappointment, loser, hopeless piece of trash. All that stuff is, we're talking decades and decades of that has built up within our uh, collective consciousness as a society. And it's, it's really hard to overcome now. That's why it takes one person at a time, like Jesse, like Leanne, and you go out there and you do what you can do. That's it. You just do what you can do. And remember, they're human beings, for Christ's sake. Uh, Jamie says, growing up in a dysfunctional reality, you can see the family doing this. You think the normal way of, it's a normal way of life. And then you see the light at the end, of, and it could be a real struggle to do that. I think about this every day. Yeah. Your dysfunctional family in reality may not have been an ideal way to go about living life. And once you get out of that and you become a grown-up and you see how other families function, you know what? I've seen that now. I look at the way, you know, Leanne's family is and the way my family was. And you see differences. You can tell. I think people can figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. So. Um, Jesse, sure. any final thoughts here? We're going to wrap it up, man. It's been a lot of... Well, it's not fun. Well, yeah, it has been fun. It's been great talking to you. It's been super informative. And I really want to emphasize again to people who are seeing this or hearing this, please share it around and let people know who are suffering silently that we don't want them to suffer silently. You can DM me on Twitter, what used to be known as Twitter, at MJ Govia. You can hit us up here. Uh, Jesse, what do you have to say about all that? Uh, one final thought, if I could say, is just remember that you can do this on your own terms. You can find a way that works for you. Don't let anybody tell you you have to go a certain route. Whatever is the most comfortable for you, whatever works for you and pushes you forward, take that by the balls and run with it. Here, here. Love it. Absolutely. Jenny says, thank you all so much. And Jesse, you're loved by a few more tonight. That's right. Thank you. Appreciate having me. Mm. Jesse, everybody, this is Jesse. He is living the life of a man in recovery. And you can be that person, too. If you're watching or hearing this now and you're in misery and you don't know what to do, you don't know how to get out of addiction, or you, there's somebody you care about you want to help, you know, hit us up here. Firstdaypod at gmail.com. You can email the show, of course. You can comment here on this video on YouTube or Facebook or wherever else we are, Twitch. And you can hit us up on Twitter, First Day Pod. There's a lot of ways to contact us. You can talk to me directly anytime. I'm Michael Govier. You can find me at MJ Govier on most social media platforms. I uh, now myself am a uh, about to be a licensed professional therapist. So I'm not just going to be talking about this on YouTube. I'm here to help people day to day. And I'll be working in most likely in substance use. So I, I have a clue. I've lived it and I've gotten the additional training. So I feel like I can offer something. But hearing personal stories like Jesse's coming on here. It is courageous and I want to thank you, Jesse. Really do. Thanks, everybody. This is First Day Pod. That's Leanne. And don't forget about the book club. First Day Pod at gmail.com For Leanne and Jesse, I'm Michael. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.